Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and we're joined tonight by Mets 360 writer Matt Netter. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. This is great. All right, well, the Mets have been playing a little bit better here, uh, I guess, since the beginning of July, once the horrible month of uh, June was in our rearview mirror. I think there are a couple of games over 500 since uh, the July 1st, and one of the big reasons in that is uh, the performance of Zach Wheeler. And I want to know from you, have we seen enough of the good Zach Wheeler to say now that he's one of the top pitchers in the league? I think he's been just outstanding. This is what we always hoped we'd see out of him. And this is what we saw a glimpse of early in his career before the injuries. Um, But I really hesitate to commit to him long term. I feel like he's building trade value. And if he could stay healthy and keep pitching like this the rest of the year, I think he'll make a good offseason trade chip. Now, even considering the bad start that he got off to, he's like top 12 in the National League in ERA. Um, And you don't. You're, you're not encouraged by that. You, you don't think it's real. No, I do think it's real. I just, knowing the financial situation with the Mets, um, I don't think there's any realistic chance that we're going to lock up all four of our top starters. And he's got one year left of control before he becomes a free agent. And given his injury history and given, you know, hopefully uh, forthcoming attempts to lock up DeGrom and Syndergaard at least, um, I don't. I just don't think there's going to be room. I think you know, it might maybe it doesn't hurt to make an offer, but I think he he may end up being a trade chip. Now, to me, that player would be Mats. Uh, I would look to to deal him, and if you couldn't, I'd I'd let him uh, walk when he was a free agent. I certainly would prioritize keeping Wheeler over Mats at this point. Yeah, my concern with that is is Matt still has a couple of more years of control. He's more affordable. And we can give him another season to hopefully, you know, either prove himself or build up trade value. I think the jury's still out on Mats. I don't think he has enough trade value right now. I think it would be silly to trade him. Um, I think DeGrom and Syndergaard in the offseason, I'd really like to see whoever our new general manager is really look into locking those two up and making them the center of what we build around. All right, well, let's talk about the one pitcher in the rotation that we haven't mentioned so far, and that's Jason Vargas, who uh, was pretty much a major disappointment uh, this season until his last four starts. His last four starts have been uh, solid or or perhaps even a little bit better. Um, Do you think that uh, uh, we're going to see more of that in the future? What's your take on him right now? I do think so. I think he suffered from the same thing that a lot of the late free agent signees suffered from, like Cobb and Lynn and some of the other guys. When a starting pitcher misses out on spring training due to injury or late signing, they really just get off on the wrong foot. And I I think he really just struggled with his command and struggled with his sharpness. And in the last four starts, I'm really impressed what I've seen from him. I don't think he's ever going to be a frontline starter. I, I think he's more of a back end four or five starter. But I think having that veteran lefty in in there, like I said when we signed him, he's like the Bobby Ojeda that we had in the 80s. And I I think this team could use a guy like that. And I look forward to the rest of this year and next year with him. Where I make the distinction is that Ojeda could go out and and he could throw you seven, eight, or nine innings. And I don't know if Vargas has gone past six. Maybe he did seven once. And and I know that we don't see complete games or eight innings very much anymore, but I'd like to to have a guy who I at least felt somewhat 
reasonably sure that, hey, if he's on his game, he could give us seven. And I just yeah. don't feel that way with Vargas. No, I don't either. But I, I, I feel good about five, six innings out of him on the, you know, on the fifth turn through the, the fifth spot in the rotation. Got a lot more faith in that Mets bullpen than I do. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about uh, some uh, position players here. And, and then David Wright, uh, the news is out now that uh, he's ended his rehab and uh, is going to accompany the team to San Francisco and likely will be activated when the Mets uh, return home uh, uh, in the first week of September. Um, the whole David Wright thing, is this good for the Mets? First of all, I'm, I'm confused. I read some conflicting reports today. Um, they pulled him up from AAA where he wasn't doing well um, and they brought him with the team to continue rehab not to activate him and what they indicated was I, I forget which of the three GMs was quoted as saying this the three-headed monster but one of them said that uh, the litmus test was if he could play three days in a row and he was never able to do that and they're not it didn't seem to me that they're convinced that he's going to get a chance to play you know, when you see the quotes from David Wright, he seems like he's confident that he's going to get a chance to play, and that was the goal all along. And certainly, you know, I'm rooting like heck for him. You know, I think we all are. You know, just to even if he just gets a few at bats before the season's out, it would be. I mean, I think we'll all get chills when we hear that standing ovation that he's going to get. Now, what I understand is that uh, in terms of the rehab assignment, if he completed the 20 day rehab assignment, they would have to activate him and the reason that they ended it after 17 or 18 whatever it was was so that they didn't run into that clause so perhaps they don't feel like he's ready quite this time and then he can continue uh, doing at least workouts uh, prior to uh, prior to the games here on uh, the remainder of the road trip I think I think his presence in the clubhouse there's something to be said for it though he really is like an extra coach uh, you know, when he was in the dugout earlier in the season, you could see younger players talking to him. I think he's a good influence, and it certainly helps from a leadership standpoint, if nothing else. But I think what ownership is hoping for is to have that last hurrah, and I think that's why they're keeping Reyes around, and maybe build some kind of buzz around it and try to sell some tickets. You know, um, you know, maybe they'll have a T-shirt giveaway with right on the front and Reyes on the back or some silly thing like that. But I think that's the hope, and I think, um, you know, for better or worse, I think this might be, you know, the last hurrah for both of them. I just wonder when the young guys come up to uh, right in the dugout and they introduce themselves, and it's like, so what was it like when you played, Grandpa? Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe, but it's true. He's, uh, what, pushing 35 now, I think? and then He just turned 35, yeah. Okay. And then hasn't essentially hasn't played in in two years. Yeah. So, um, uh, I don't I don't know what practical advice he has to offer. No, me neither. Me neither. Right. I mean, uh, th there's certainly a lot of, um, you know, maybe he could teach everybody the the barehanded play that he's known for. And in fact, he made <laughs> that pl he made that play the other day, which was great to see. I heard that. All right, well, let's talk about uh, Jay Bruce since he's actually playing games and seems to be hitting the ball pretty well since he returned from the DL. How do you think the the rest of uh, his Mets tenure this year and the, the two years that follow, uh, how do you think that's going to play out? I don't know. He's not tradable. 
I don't think he's the kind of player... I, I think he's the epitome of the Sandy Alderson-type player that you don't want to build around. But I think you just have to play to his strengths. I think the best thing we can do with him is let him bat, like, fifth or sixth in the order and let him play some first base, some right field, some DH in the AL games, um, try to ride his streaks, you know, and try to maximize what you can get out of him. Um but it's it's a problem. We have three corner outfielders who are all left-handed. And, um, you know, especially with Cespedes out, we need power. He does give us that when he's healthy. I mean, was it last night or the night before? He hit a shot that easily would have been a home run, but the wind was blowing in and, at Wrigley. Um, so he looks like he's got his pop back again. And he made one nice play at first base, though he missed another. Um you know, I, I look to next year. If he's platooning with Flores at first, I think offensively you'll get good production between the two of them. But defensively, sheesh, that's no gold gloves over there. So the the big question is, when do you anticipate Cespedes coming back? And do you think either one of those two guys can play the outfield on a, on a consistent basis? Well, actually, just before... Uh, we began this session, I started writing my post for tomorrow, and it's going to be focused on that. And I'm actually not hopeful about Cespedes. And the reason for that is I just read up on Troy Tulowitzki. Remember him? Absolutely. Uh, a guy that uh, I uh, certainly uh, campaigned for the Mets to, uh, to get. So how long ago was it? Two, three years ago where people were saying he was one of the best players in all of baseball? And... Um, he hasn't played a whole lot and similar to Cespedes he's had a series of different seemingly unrelated injuries but then it turns out they are and he had the heel surgeries and uh, they just announced that they're shutting him down for the rest of the year and he won't be back till at least the beginning of next year so I think you know when they say mid next year Cespedes they did the surgery on one foot then he's got to rest for six to eight weeks before they can do the other one and then it's going to be a lengthy rest period followed by heavy duty rehab the best we can hope for is like by the all-star break next year. And I think, you know, when does anything ever go best case scenario with the Mets? So Michael Conforto I, 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 was back earlier than expected. Yeah, he wasn't. That might've been a mistake, <laughs> but I, th I think the Mets need to operate as if Cespedes is not going to play next year. Wow. You're just full of happy, good, uplifting news today, aren't you? Yeah. I'm going to keep searching until I find something you're positive about. All right, you well, will. let's keep, Let's keep moving around the infield. Let's talk about uh, Med Rosario, who seems to be maturing right in front of our very eyes. Do you think that um, he remains at shortstop, given that the uh, Mets' top prospect is a shortstop, and uh, Jimenez uh, got uh, promotion to Double A and actually hit better in Double A than he did in High A? May only be a year away. I know, and I hear good things about his glove too. And he's a, he's a speedster. He's stealing bases left and right. I like everything I hear about that kid. I honestly don't know. Um, my thinking on this team is there's two, maybe three players that I would deem untouchable, and Rosario is not one of them. Um, if he can be packaged in a trade, I wouldn't be opposed. I don't like the idea of moving him around. You know, it was suggested somewhere to move him to the outfield or to second base. I don't like that idea. He's either our shortstop or we trade him. Um, you know, for me, I would keep him at shortstop for now and into next year. And by this time next year, if it really looks like Jimenez is, you know, coming on like gangbusters and he's ready to go, then we could look into trading Rosario. But for right now, I leave I leave him be. He's making some good progress over the past month. I like the way he's playing. 
You know, I wish his stolen base percentage was a little better. He keeps he's he's aggressive, but he's he's not making it a lot of times. Um, he's a little less of a free swinger, at least of late, which is nice to see. Um, but I've I've honestly been disappointed with his defense. I thought he was going to be a much better glove. Now earlier you were talking about uh, not wanting to sell low on mats. Wouldn't you be concerned about the same thing here if you were to, to pursue a Rosario trade? You wouldn't get anywhere near the, the value that uh, you would have gotten a year ago when there was talk about him being one of the top three prospects in all of the game. I'm not suggesting trading him right now. I'm talking about a year from now when he would hopefully have that much more value. But that's, you know, that's a can you can kick down the road. That's not something they have to deal with right now. Right now he's our shortstop. That's the least of our concerns, I think. Okay, well... Um... Let's move into the outfield. Uh, uh, dumpster diving trash pickup Austin Jackson has uh, performed remarkably well in a Mets uniform. Uh, do you think that that's uh, Nori Aoki, well-timed hot streak and kick him to the curb, or do you think he's going to be a member of the 2019 club? Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, we'll certainly need some reserve outfield help, and he can play center field a little bit, and you know, with Lagoras's injury history, not to mention Nimmo and Conforto have had their share of DL stints as well. Um, I'd be okay with it, but I, I don't think it's something that you have to put down in, you know, in, in indelible ink right now. Um, but I, I think he could have a place. The Mets certainly don't have, you know, any outfielders in the high levels of the minors right now. There's that, and then, and then there's uh, the center field thing, which you, you mentioned as well. And and you, typically you carry five outfielders, and if you're not going to count on either Cespedes or Bruce as a, a full-time outfielder, I think there's certainly room for for Jackson on the, the 2019 club. And and uh, I'm, I'm assuming Callaway knew him from their time together in Cleveland last year. Uh, liked what he, he brought to the team then and certainly must like what he's bringing now. So my expectation is that we'll see him again next year. Yeah, that could well be. All right, well, let's switch over to the uh, the bullpen. And uh, oh, that's boy. something that we don't really like to talk about. Uh, no. We like to close our eyes when the relievers come in, except uh, possibly the, the two former starters, that's uh, Seth Lugo and Robert Gesellman. Do you think that there's any member of the pen uh, besides those two, that you want to see make the opening day roster in 2019? I think it remains to be seen. And my hope is that the coaching staff is really taking a good look at these guys for the remainder of the year and seeing who makes sense. I like some things I've seen out of Zamora. Um, I think Drew Smith has shown something. Tim Peterson's looked good at times. Um, the kid they got um, from Philadelphia, Colome, has got a heck of an arm. He's got to work on his control in the minors. Same thing with Bautista. Um, some of the guys, though, like uh, Bachelor and um, uh, who, who was the guy we got from Oakland? Bobby, Bobby Wall. They seem like throwers to me that really need some refinement. They've got powerful arms, but same thing with Jacob Rame, especially. He's throwing BP out there. Um, these guys either need to develop better control or make smart, smarter pitch selection, better secondary pitches, and hopefully that's where, you know, that that's where Callaway and Island come in. I'm, I'm hoping that they can polish a few of those diamonds in the rough. 
Now, the, one of the first guys you mentioned there was Daniel Zamora, who they picked up from Pittsburgh in the Josh Smoker deal. And, and that certainly looks like a uh, big win for the Mets right now because Smoker didn't look like he had the ability to contribute what the Mets wanted, and that was a guy to come on and, and retire lefties. And Zamora seems much better suited for that role. Do you think that he could be uh, the, the, the team's primary loogie? Do you think he could be a replacement for Jerry Blevins? It's interesting that you say that, and you probably remember I wrote a post about that a few months ago that Jerry Blevins is not a loogie. I think everybody loves Jerry Blevins. He's just such a likable guy. He's a character. And when he's on, he's an effective reliever. The problem is that Mickey Calloway seems to need to have a classic loogie in his toolbox, and Blevins is not that. Um, In some seasons, Blevins has actually been much more effective against right-handed hitters. Um, It varies from year to year with him. Um, but he's certainly not a classic loogie. Um, maybe Zamora can fit that role because uh, Callaway just seems to need to have that. Um, I, I don't know. Hen- Henry Mejia is eligible again, isn't he? Can we count him? Uh, yes, supposedly uh, he will be back. Uh, uh, should be able to uh, pitch in the, the minors. I, I want to say that I saw his uh, name in the box score in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, at one point, uh, um, I can't say he pitched any more than that one outing, but I, I think he has at least faced uh, somewhat uh, uh, professional caliber caliber okay. hitters. And and you know, I, I know a lot of people would just say we don't need anything to do with him. Not only was he a, a, a user, he he lied about his usage, and and I don't I don't begrudge anybody that opinion, but I also don't believe in throwing away guys who've who they he he paid his time you know they he he had a lifetime ban and and went ahead and appealed it and and they reinstated him and if major league baseball says it's okay i don't see why the mets wouldn't try to get something from him because at one point uh, he was quite the asset he was and would you believe he's only 28 um yes i would um, you know, it seems like we talked about them forever, but you got to right? remember these guys. These guys sign when they're 16. So yeah. You know, yeah so we, I, I don't know in his particular case if he actually did sign if he was 16, but if he had that, you know, we've been talking about him 12, 13 years. So, so two, it has been forever. Two guys we didn't mention that will probably be back next year for better or worse. One is Paul Seawald, who I'm very disappointed. Very disappointed in him. His health, his slider is like that helicopter that just floats over the middle of the plate. It's so hittable. And the other one is Swarzak, who of course is on the DL yet again. He and that's had such a, a shame. Tremen- he had a tremendous season last year. He, he did, and uh, before he went on the DL, it seemed like he had, had figured out whatever the, the issues were, and he was contributing solid, uh, solid innings, and uh, I think he even picked up a save. And I think he's that that arm that you you hope to see there uh, next year. Seawalt, nah, I'm not a big fan. No, me neither. No, the you bullpen have... will clearly need some outside help in the off season. You know, I, I think it was almost unfortunate in that in the beginning of the year, Seawalt was doing so well, and I think he had earned so much trust from from management that he was being put in situations that, quite frankly, he didn't need to be put in. I mean, if, if he is going to be on your team, he's he's the, the lowest leverage guy out there. And I think the Mets were trying to push him into higher and higher leverage spots, and it came back and bit him. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. 
All right, well, it's crazy prediction time. Uh, I'm going to uh, give you a crazy prediction, ask you to comment on it, and then I'll ask for one of yours. Are you ready? Go. Some guy we were talking about earlier, Ahmed Rosario. I, I predict that in the year 2020, he'll be our starting third baseman. So I want to know, how crazy is that? That's not so crazy, actually. I hadn't given that any thought, but that's actually pretty smart. Because Frazier will have been a free agent by then. Um, Jimenez will probably be up by then, and they could move him to third base. That could happen. Not bad. The uh, the thing will be how well uh, Jeff McNeil does, because if he cuts it at second base, then you're you're looking to to move one of those guys to third, and it seems like Rosario is. Uh, has a chance to be more of what we traditionally think of as a third baseman. I think he's got uh, a little more, a uh, little more pop in his bat maybe than Jimenez does. So um, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily rooting for that to happen, but I, I could see the stars aligning. You just touched on my crazy prediction. All right, what's that? Jeff McNeil. Okay, I'm ready. What do you got for me? Forty he's homers? Gonna... No, but he's going to continue playing well for the rest of the season to the point where. The front office is going to feel confident going forward with him next season, and we're not going to need to look for a second baseman in the offseason. Well, I think we're a big O for two. I, I don't, I don't think that's crazy at all. I think that uh, they're going to be looking for reasons not to spend money, and and McNeil's mm-hmm. going to give them the reason not to do that at second base. So whatever funds the the Mets are are going to spend here in the offseason will go to catcher in the bullpen, and that'll be it. Catcher and bullpen. Wow. Yeah, I think that uh, when you, you you subtract the uh, the salaries that are coming off the books and then they add in arbitration raises, if they keep payroll the the same amount that it's been the last two years, you're looking at somewhere in the vicinity of 35 million. So I mean, there's just not a ton of ton of cash out there, and my fear is that they're going to uh, look to sink money into a closer, and uh, I think we got a closer, another reliever, and a catcher. My my concern is I hope that whoever our GM is, Ben Charrington maybe, hopefully, um, my hope is that they won't try to um, do paint-by-numbers and fill in positions that could use upgrades the way Alderson did. Instead, what I think they need to do is just get the best bat they can get, regardless of position. And if that means they have to move somebody to a different position or send them down or trade them away or put them on the bench or whatever the case may be, I think they they did too much of that last off season with oh we need a third baseman let's get Todd Frazier oh we need a right fielder slash first baseman let's get Jay Bruce and those were not really the best guys and so they've done it, that too often I think they just need to get a bat and get the best bat they can get reg- pretty much regardless of position. All right, so uh, off the top of my head, the two best bats available in free agency are Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And I would rather if they're going to spend. $35 million, I'd rather go all in and get Manny Machado and not get anyone else rather than get, you know, five, you know, $8 million players or however they would spend that money in the past. Those all second right, so tier I... free agents just don't pan out. I'd rather make one big splash and then and then fill in at the margins. I, I have no problem with that. My only issue is how do you make it work? Who plays where? I would put Machado at third and either trade Frazier or move him to first. 
Frazier to first. There you go. I like it. Outside the box thinking. I love it. Yeah, All so right, I, well, I have one more question for you if we have time. Sure. Something we didn't touch on that I would love to is Alonzo. So there's a couple of different schools of thought on why the Mets are handling him the way they are. You know, fans are clamoring for, what, 32 home runs combined between AA and AAA. He was Defensive Player of the Month, despite what everyone says about his defense. Um, Are they choosing not to bring him up in September for one of three reasons? Is it A, because they want to see how Bruce does over there? No. B, because they just want to delay his clock? And probably no. not even bring him up at the very beginning of next year? Or is it C, they don't want to expose his defense and use him as a trade chip in the offseason? I, I don't I don't think it's the I don't think the deciding factor is any of those three. All three of those might be contributing factors, but to me the the reason you don't call him up is because you don't have to. He doesn't have to be added to the forty man. And and if you if you activate him, you, you have to make that decision, you have to commit to him, and there's always you know, four, five, six players uh, in the offseason who you have to add to the 40-man. And and the Mets have already uh, probably overexposed themselves in that area just because of all of the injuries that they've had this year already. And those guys come back off of the 60-day DL, and they have to be added back to the 40-man. And you got yourself a nice little roster crunch. So I, I think that the I don't think the Mets are doing it because they're cheap and they want to avoid uh, starting his his clock. I think they just don't want to have to deal with the 40-man roster headache. Do you think there's a chance he's our first baseman next year? Uh, a chance, yes. I'd probably put it in single digits, though. Wow. What do you think his future is? I think he's the uh, eventual first baseman. Uh, if he's not the eventual first baseman, then he's uh, traded to the American League. And what about Dom Smith? Uh, I, I think that the, the future is, is not very hopeful for him. Uh, I, I think that uh, he's a, a quad A guy hoping to get uh, uh, thrown in as a change of scenery guy. I think that uh, the fact that they didn't give him more of a shot this year when, when they could have, um, you know, just doesn't speak very well. And, you know, half the people are saying, well, you know, he didn't hit well enough to deserve much of a shot. But for however long he was on the major league roster this year, most of the time he was he was riding the pine. And, you know, after the, the dreadful June that the, the Mets had, or even during that dreadful June, there was no reason for a guy like Smith not to be playing. Agreed. Now, another guy who seems to have missed his window is Gavin Cicchini, who two years ago looked like he was going to be a future starting infielder. And I just read that he was demoted, and he's down in single A right now. Well, if that's the case, he's on an injury rehab because he's been yes. out for, for quite a while. Uh, I actually liked um, uh, Cicchini, uh, the, the progress he showed this year before he got hurt. Uh, he certainly needed to go back down and, and do something different. And ideally, he would have become a better defensive player, but you know, there's probably only so much you could do in that regard. But he became one of the hitters who adopted the I'm going to look to put the ball in the air, and his results in, in that were very good. And it's not a huge sample, but we saw a significant uptick in, in both the fly balls and uh, his slugging percentage. Um, I, I, think he'll, I think he can play. Uh, I don't know if the Mets necessarily share that point of view. I think they're they're so bummed out that that he didn't 
develop into the shortstop that they thought they were drafting, uh, it almost seems like they hold that against him. But I, I don't see much of a future for him in New York. Wow, that's a shame. He was a first-round pick, too. Indeed he was. And, and the the word when they drafted him was that he was the most polished shortstop in the draft. And people were split on whether he would hit. Some thought that he'd be the guy you could hit in, in the top of the order, and others thought, well, you know, he's only a, a an eighth-placed hitter, but his glove will be good enough that you, you won't mind. And, you know, here it is all these years later, and it's the, well, can we hide his glove because we think his bat might play. So it just goes to show you never know. Too many of those guys in the organization – who were only good on one side of the ball, not enough complete players. And I don't know if that's an organizational failing in the way that we develop players, you know, chicken and egg, or if it's just, you know, our talent evaluation and how we're drafting. Which do you think is more to blame? Well, I, I think there's been a, a preference for a certain type of ball player. Um, you, you, you look at the, the first round pick uh, that they took this year, and I think that Kellen the... Uh, the descriptions around him have been uh, different than pretty much anyone we've taken since Brandon Nimmo. Um, you know, Nimmo was was touted as the five-tool talent, uh, and I don't know if anybody else necessarily checked all of those boxes in between. So uh, I don't I don't think that athleticism was necessarily um, uh, something that the the Mets brain trust gravitated towards at the top of the draft. And, you know, perhaps we're going to see a, a shift in, in the pendulum there. You saw it in the Chicago series, how, how speed makes a difference. It's not just about stolen bases, but how many times their players go first to third, and Chicago leads the majors in that category. And the Mets, how many times do you see these guys go station to station where it takes three or four hits to score a run? Sometimes that three-run homer just doesn't come. Well, very often it doesn't with this team. Well, certainly this year has been a problem with Cespedes being out for so long and and, and Bruce, Bruce and and, and uh, Frazier being on the DL. You look at Frazier this uh, this month uh, in August, I think he's got six home runs this month. Yeah. And and you know, if he had been able to to be healthy, you know, that's six home runs a month, that's 36 homers. <laughs> I yep. mean, that would be that would be a real nice thing to have right about that. Yeah, it sure would. All right, well, let's uh, bang out one or two more questions here sure. before I let you go. Michael Conforto, uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's a big elephant in the room, and, and that's the, the strikeouts. And, you know, we, we all want Conforto to be the homegrown star, but here in August I think he's fanning 33% of the time. And how big of an issue do you think that is? Boy, against lefties it's a huge issue. He just looks lost against left-handed pitchers. He looked like he was making progress on that last year, but this year he cannot hit lefties. Um, it looks, it seems like he strikes out every time he's up against the lefty. Um, I don't know. I've seen him flail at pitches and reach for pitches out of the zone, like sweeping sliders. And uh, he's not going opposite field as much as he used to. He's not spraying the ball around. Um, hopefully, you know, the injury worked against him again. You know, missed time in spring training, got off to a slow start. You know, we give him another shot next year and hope for the best, but geez, he's a frustrating player to root for. We keep hoping he'll stay healthy and it all come together and he'll develop into a Carlos Beltran type player. But, you know, if our wish comes true, then what we have to worry about is when he hits free agency, Scott Boris is his agent. 
Well, so I'd, I I'd like, like for that to be a problem. <laughs> I know, but I sometimes think let him build trade value, and he's another one we could package, especially since we have three left-handed corner outfielders. And Nimmo is one of the few guys I would deem untouchable. Now, earlier in the, in the year, or I guess the majority of the year, I was wondering why anyone threw a Med Rosario a strike, because it seemed to me he was going to swing at anything on the yeah. uh, off of the plate to the outside. And I almost feel the exact opposite way with, with Conforto. I don't know why anyone would throw him a strike when all you got to do is throw him a pitch down around his ankles on the inside part of yeah. the plate, and he's swinging at it. Exactly. And, and uh, I, I think it was... Uh, um, curveballs that were giving him the most trouble, but I mean, even now it seems you you throw a slider in there and he's swinging over on top of it, and he's yep. he's constantly swinging. And you know, you, you, I, as a fan, it's frustrating. You just want to do the the pitch drill where you know, like you're not allowed to swing. You're just supposed to identify if it's a ball or a strike, and it's just like, geez, you really shouldn't have to do that at at this level. But these guys are consistently swinging mm-hmm. at pitches that. You know, it's one thing if it looks like a strike and then it dives out of the zone, but when it never even looks like a strike and you're swinging at it, as a fan, that, that's that's pretty frustrating. Yeah, I, I, I one one thing I want to add. I would you ever have thought, if we were having this conversation back in February or March, that instead of the Mets and the Nationals, we're talking about the Phillies and the Braves? You know, the certainly the the Mets and Nationals had uh, had trouble spots. And if if two teams that you think are going to win aren't winning, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Somebody mm-hmm. was, was going to have to step up, and it wasn't going to be the Marlins. No. Um, so may, maybe I'm surprised by the, uh, the the Braves' win total, but I mean, it, it's not a it's not to me. It's much more surprising uh, what a team like the A's are doing or, or what a team like the Mariners are doing. The Mariners, I think have a negative run differential, but they might win 90 games. How, to about, me, the, that's, how about the Rays? It, or, and, and the Rays, absolutely. And, and I'm surprised at the Oreos. I didn't think that they would be anywhere near this bad. So, uh, um, yeah, they are awful. I, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to say that I saw the Braves or the Phillies doing this because I didn't. But as far as surprises go, you know, I mean, we just named what six or eight teams right then. I, I would say that uh, they were less of a surprise than those six or eight teams. No, but I mean the Braves, you know that that uh, Acuna and Albies and and Newcomb and Fultonavich, they they all just hit the ground running as soon as they came up. And then Marcakis is having like the best year of his career in his mid thirties. Nobody could have seen that. You yeah, know, I thought I uh, thought that you know the Phillies added Arietta and Santana in the offseason. I thought they might, you know, be competitive, but I never saw it with the Braves. I didn't think those young players were going to step up like that so fast. Yeah, they they've certainly been blessed. Everyone was talking about what a a, a good strong farm system they've had, and certainly not surprising that a couple of those guys have come up and 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 performed well. But like you said, it seems like every one of them has just come up and clicked. And, uh, you know, bully for them, I guess. Yeah, but Swanson's been disappointing. I thought he was going to really be in that same echelon as, like, you know, Seeger and Lindor and, and uh, Correa and those guys, and he's not really. He kind of took a step back. As a Dansby Swanson fantasy owner, I'm with you 100%. <laughs> 
All right, well, let's bang out one more here, and, yep. and the, this is the one that I guess that's uh, probably uh, the biggest thing that Mets fans talk about these days, and that's uh, Jacob DeGrom and his Cy Young chances. Where do you where do you uh, see the race uh, unfolding? I don't think it's decided yet, um, but right now it, it looks like, you know, Aaron Nola is really making a case for himself. Um, I if DeGrom keeps pitching like this and can keep his ERA below 1.8, you know, and he makes all his additional starts and he ends up with over 250 strikeouts and can win at least double digits, I think he's got to take it. Because Scherzer, if you look at some of his peripherals, he gives up a lot of home runs. He hasn't been that good his last handful of starts. And I, I just, I give, DeGrom, I give DeGrom the nod over Nola, at least as of right now. So I'm, I, that's that's who gets my pick. To me, Nola was always like in the discussion, but he was never really a major factor until maybe the last, uh, I don't know, month or so. Yeah. But he's come on so strong, and I think that's actually a good thing for DeGrom because it's almost like um, Nola and Scherzer are going to take each other's votes. I don't think anyone who's would consider DeGrom with the lack of wins is necessarily going to say, oh, but Nola's having a great year. I'll go for, for him. I think that Nola takes away support from Scherzer, and I think that ends up helping DeGrom. Yeah. Yeah, that could well be. Well, it would be uh, a, a very nice thing, you know, uh, for DeGrom, who's, who's pitched so magnificently this year and certainly has drawn the short end of the stick from uh, run support. And, you know, DeGrom... Uh, Not even just run support. The errors, Familia blew three saves yeah, during I mean, his it, games. It, I mean, it, it's almost a comedy of errors when you, you list the, the things that have gone wrong in, uh, quote, support of uh, DeGrom. Mm-hmm. But uh, last year, he, he did very well on the run support thing. So, I mean, that that's uh, that's fickle. And mm-hmm. it, it just happened. And because it happened this year doesn't mean that it's destined to happen going on in the future. But... You got to feel good about seeing uh, Degrom on the Mets, and uh, with the year he's had, I'm I'm certainly pulling strongly for him to win the Cy Young Award. Harvey's best year, he only got what nine wins because he had the same issue. Uh, there's there's one in every crowd, I guess. Yeah. Well, Matt, we are we are all out of time. Uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, joining us tonight, and thanks uh, for having me. Uh, hope hopefully the uh, the Mets can uh, have some uh, fun out in San Francisco. Sounds good. Keep reading, everybody. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Until next week when we're joined by uh, former National Review uh, writer Jason Epstein. Uh, Good night, everyone, and goodbye.